and you're listening to the Abide Podcast. To find out more about Abide, go to AbideChurchFL.com and enjoy today's message. Amen. Bless you guys as you give. How many of you are ready for the word? Look at that, man. We're, get, we're getting there. I'm excited to share with you guys. I'm thankful you guys are here. I know some of you guys are just here for food. Praise God, me too. But we're going to get some spiritual food first, yeah? yeah. We're going to go into a new um, series of a collection of conversations around what the pillars of our house are. Many of you, you, this is your first time or you've been with us for a few months. We really felt like it was important for us as a community to share with you what makes abide abide. How many of you know that's important? Like what, what makes it happen? What makes, what makes us, we feel like our community special. We may be a little biased, but we feel like what God is doing among us is special, but it doesn't just happen. There are things that God has spoken to us as a community that we are to give ourselves to. They are themes and topics. So we're going to take the next four or five weeks and just talk about those things. What does it mean to be a people of his presence, a people of prayer, a people of family, and a people of revival? So these are the pillars of our house. And today I want to talk about his presence. We want to start off by talking about what does it mean to be a presence people? You've probably heard this terminology. We are a presence people. We are a presence-centered community. But I believe that that has to be more than language. How many of you agree with that? Like God is moving us beyond language, just things that sound nice, and he's helping us step into what it really means to be a disciple and a follower of Jesus. So Jesus made it really clear. He, he made this statement about himself as he was following and, and doing the miracle signs and wonders. He said this, I only do what I see my father doing. There was this thing that was happening. There was this divine connection that Jesus had with the father where the Holy Spirit would show him what the father was doing and he would move by that. There was a presence, there was an abiding that was happening as Jesus was walking this earth. And what we want for us, what I want for you, what we want as a community is to walk the way Jesus walked. How many of you want that? Good, 20 of y'all, that's good. We want to walk as Jesus walked. We don't want to conform to, to culture's ideology of what religion looks like or what it looks like to follow Jesus. We want the real thing. We want to talk like Jesus, walk like Jesus. And we believe that Jesus made way for this. He said, it's good for you that I leave because I'm sending the comfort of the Holy Spirit to help us walk this thing out. So I just want to start off today by asking the question, what does it mean to be a presence-centered community? What does it mean for us when we say the presence is paramount? It is the center of what we do. It is all about why do we take longer? We talk about this every week. Why do we take longer when we worship? Why do we yield? Why do sometimes we sing songs that are not on the screen? When Covington went into that flow today, you're greater, you're stronger, you're higher. You felt something in the room happen. It wasn't just people screaming or an energy. It was us aligning with what heaven was releasing in that moment. It was us yielding to the presence of Jesus. Are you understanding? And I just want to start by saying this. Being a presence people, being a people of the presence is intentional. It doesn't just happen. You coming to church on Sunday mornings from 10 to 12 is good, but there's something beyond that that makes you a presence person that makes you a person that has prioritized the person of Jesus as the central component of their lives. This is utterly different because we've been conditioned and taught that Jesus for us is an additive. It's not just the purpose of life, it is a part of your life. So you can have Jesus in many things, but what God has spoken to us, he has narrowed us down to say, you are a one thing people. Now a one thing people can't have two things. If you have two things, you don't have one. It's very simple. But I feel like when we really tease this thing out, we live in a world that is so full of options. We've never had more options. You've never had more things to give your heart to than you do today. 
or than you will have tomorrow. And all of these things are vying. They're vying for your heart, for your attention. But we, what we want to ask is we want, to be, we want our hearts to be struck by the scriptures and we want to be moved and centralize our lives around the person of Jesus. Not an idea of Jesus, not a teaching of Jesus, not information about Jesus, the person of Jesus who is tangible, available, and alive. When we were singing about the nations will declare he is Lord, it, we're talking about him coming back. And every nation, whether they believe in him or not, will declare Jesus is Lord. It's going to happen. And so when we worship, we're trying to align ourselves with what is coming. And even if our spirits don't feel it, we begin to sing truth and let that strike our heart. God, if I'm struggling with declaring truth, then I need to know why. What has captured my heart that is stopping me from declaring truth and honoring you and seeing you as great? Man, when I talk to people sometimes, it's like they serve a really small God and there's a really big devil. All of the impossibilities and all of the things that are going on, yet what God is doing is he's gifting us. God coming is a gift to us. And him revealing his nature and how big and how strong and how mighty he is, is a gift because what it does is it minimizes. It doesn't eliminate because we all go through problems. The Bible is clear. Trials will come. You will go through difficulties. But when you have a proper perspective of how big God is and that he has conquered all, he didn't conquer some, he conquered all. I don't care what your theology is. He has conquered all. He is above. There is nothing beside him. This is not a struggling wrestling match between God and the devil. This is God wanting to operate through his people and establish his kingdom here and now. And every sphere of life, not just on Sunday mornings. If we get it on Sunday mornings, but it doesn't translate to Mondays, we've missed it. So there are these scriptures that have marked this house. When we say things like, man, what does it mean to be a one thing people? What does it mean to fully give our hearts and engage with God as the center of our lives? One of the, the central scriptures that we've gone over again, we prayed in prayer rooms is Psalms 27.4. It is, it is a pivotal scripture for this house. And I want to read it to you. This is David and David is in the midst of a difficult situation. He is surrounded by an encampment of enemies. This is not David with a harp in a great space saying, God, I love, this is David in pressure. There is pressure and he is surrounded, yet in the midst of this, he makes this declaration. It starts off with this one thing. Say one thing. I want you to catch this. In the midst of difficulty, he says, one thing I have asked of the Lord. Now, if I was David and I was encamped by a, 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 a thousand upon thousands of people, I would be asking one thing and it would be deliverance. <laughs> God, deliver me. God, help me. God, save me. But he makes this declaration which, which became the alignment, the plumb line for his life. This one thing, even in the midst of this, I have asked of the Lord. And this one thing I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord in his presence all the days of my life. All the days. And to, and all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty. The Amplified says the delightful lovingness in the grandeur, the majestic grandeur of the Lord and meditate in his temple. He's making this declaration. This is what's going to become the center, the center point of my life. Now, I want to say this to you. We read scripture like, oh man, David had it all together. David made lots of mistakes. David had issues. David had things going on, but there was something about David. There was a vow that he made. There was something about David that says, I don't care what's going on around me. I'm going to align myself with giving my heart to him and allowing him to touch me. I, this one thing I asked that I may gaze upon the beauty. We were singing about it. 
that we don't just sing about the beauty of the Lord, but we get caught up in his narrative. God wants to reveal himself to you. This is why we have prayer rooms. This is why we, for, for two hours every day, we come in to create a space where you can engage with God. Not where just you can talk to him, but where he can talk to you. How many of you know God wants to talk to you? He longs to share his secrets with his friends. And for some of us, we've been in church so long, we think we know everything that we have to know about God. What a small God. That in 20 years of going through discipleship classes, we know all of him. Somehow the God who spoke and created, you read a couple of books and now you know everything about him. But I'm telling you that we're stepping into this season. When David Bradshaw came, he said, prepare. Part of that preparation is allowing you to have the attributes of God strike your heart again and again and again. Not becoming numb to his person. He's merciful. He is kind, but he is judge. He's holy. He's set apart, yet he's near. There's these paradoxes about God that he's inviting us into, but it takes us making a decision. You cannot get prayed for in an altar and become a one-thing person. It can't be imparted to you like, well, maybe if he prays, no. It's, it's like Paul said, man, I've counted my life, everything in my life is a rubbish besides this Christ crucified. It's like I've made a decision that everything else is going to be worthless to me besides this pursuit of this one that gave his life for me. Are you with me? And this is a progressive thing. I know in a microwave society, man, if I want something on Amazon, I could probably get it by tonight. And that's wonderful. But the problem with that is that doesn't translate well to our, our relationship with God. Sometimes we come into rooms like this in prayer rooms and we're like, well, I just don't feel like anything's changing. Listen to me. There's never a moment when you're in the presence of God that something doesn't happen. Never. It's impossible. There's never, it doesn't matter whether you feel it or not. I I used to be way heavier. And we've all been to, you go to the gym and you you start going for four days. You're like, why don't I have a six pack already? And then you eat salads for like three days and now you're judging the people that are eating hamburgers. You're like, they're so undisciplined. It's just, Jesus, the fruit of the spirit, self-control. But this is how we're conditioned. We are conditioned to like expect immediate results and we don't want to wait for anything. But the Bible, there's like a thousand scriptures that say this. It starts with this theme, those who wait upon the Lord. So many. So I just want to say in the context of being a one thing people, there are going to be things that God speaks to you today that they may not flesh out for 10 years. And the question for you and that I have to answer is, is, is he enough for you? Did you start serving him for the assignment? Jesus is not a means to something we want. He is what we want. It's not a stepping stool. It's not a ladder. He is the pursuit. He is the desire. And when the assignment becomes the primary desire, you have positioned yourself to be divinely resisted by God. It's not a demon. It's not a devil. We wrestle with flesh. You know, I get it. But for some of us, the primary problem is there's a misalignment. The main thing has stopped being the main thing. And for some of us, we've never been confronted with the reality that we want many things and you can't want many things and be a one thing person. All right, let me stop. So, so in James, it talks about this. In James 1.8, it says, a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. 
Meaning when I give my heart to this or my mind, my heart, my will, my emotions to one thing on Sunday mornings, but then another thing on Monday, what it causes is an instability. I don't know which way to go. You can say confusion, frustration. But on the flip side, I want you to understand that there is, there is a stability and singularity. When I give my heart to this one thing, there is a stability. And the reality is it's going to require many no's to protect your one yes. There was a season in my life where I could say yes to many things. And now I'm in a season now where God is saying no. And that voice, listen, when you shut down that voice and you begin to call it religion or striving, what begins to happen is the voice gets quieter and quieter and quieter. It gets quite quiet right now. But I'm telling you, when you begin to give, open up your heart and say, God, you're, you are the desire, you are the longing, you are the want. There is a resounding drawing that God gives. Man, I've been in places in this last season, me and Destiny were like, man, there's just certain things. When, when we are, I was watching a movie the other day and there was a trailer that played on the movie and it made me sick to my stomach. I was like, there, my, babe, there's just certain things that I can't be a part of anymore. Because when you begin to give your heart fully to God, he's like, what are you doing? <laughs> How many of you have been there? Oh, good, lots of you. And the question becomes, what do you do in that moment? Like when God begins to say, pump the brakes and stop or go and you don't go, I want to say there is a stability. And your options, your options, the many options that you have are warring against your destiny. Listen to me. They're warring. They're actively warring against your destiny, which requires for us as a people to double down. I have decided to follow Jesus. It's the burning of the plow. It's like I've chosen to go all in on this person and I'm trusting him with my life. Like, well, it, it doesn't... It, okay. So when things don't play out the way we think they should play out, it doesn't mean we get to go back. It doesn't mean we get to become bitter and we begin to, we begin to identify with every difficult scripture in the Bible. We're like, yo, the book of Job is prophesying to me right now. It's really not. It's really not. You're being resisted because God wants your heart, but you've given it to a thousand other things. Okay. So hosting his presence doesn't happen by accident. There was a vow that David made and it's in Psalms 132. It says, Lord, remember David, all that he suffered. He made a solemn promise. This was like a declaration. This, he lived his life in this way. And he said this, he vowed to the mighty one of Israel. I will not go home. I will not let myself rest. I will not let my eyes sleep, slumber, nor close my eyes until I find what? Until I build the Lord a house, a sanctuary for the mighty one of Israel to dwell. This was the pride. He was king. He was rich. He had many things. But the narrative of his life is like, I'm not going to sleep or slumber until God finds a resting place. I want to make it clear when we're talking about being a presence people, this is what God is beckoning us to do. It's why you see a house built for him everywhere. That we would build worship, that we would engage with God in such a way that he would be attracted. Don't get it twisted. God's not welcomed everywhere. We can 
could do a lot of things. I was just listening to a story of a missionary uh, that they were saying a few weeks ago. A missionary came to America from a third world country with persecution. They were seeing God move, but he came here. And when he went back, he said, what did you learn about your time in America? He said this, I'm surprised how much can be done without the Holy Spirit. <laughs> That's scary. It's scary. How much can be accomplished in the name of God without God? And what keeps us singular in our pursuit, not just as a ministry, but for you, is you begin to assess your life, your calendar, your money, your way of life, what, what your core values as a family. You say, are those aligning with God's plans and purposes? If you don't, you're like, I don't know God's plans and purposes, shut it down. I'm serious about this. Shut it down until you figure out what is God saying and what should I be doing? Because the worst thing for you is becoming 70, 80 years old and realizing you gave your life to something that meant nothing. Right. For a bunch of stuff you can't take with you and you have to stand before God and give account. Hello. And all you've got is excuses for why you couldn't give him your full heart. Cool. Glad you like that. So there's a necessary alignment to his plans and purposes and it's this. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Amen. His kingdom, not our kingdom. His ways, not our ways. His plans, not our plans. And there's grace for this. I just want to say, some of you are hearing this, you're like, this is too much. No, no, no. There is grace for us to give him our full heart. And it's the greatest joy ever. There's not a part of my life that I regret ever giving to God. Through all the money and all, even the painful moments, I learned something about him in the midst of my pain that I would never have learned. In the midst of me and Desi going through depression and losing babies, there was an aspect of God being near in my brokenheartedness that I would never have understood. What I'm saying is he works all things, but you have to give him your yes. Being a presence people starts with giving him a resounding yes and then protecting your no. For those of you that are married, you don't go around every time you see a woman and go, no, no, no. It'd be awkward. No, I can't. I signed a paper. You don't do, you do it because your yes has, has eliminated every other no. It eliminates all options. Matter of fact, when you start to feel like maybe I should, that's a good indicator something's wrong. So as the presence people, it starts with the resounding yes. Is this okay? So we believe God has put us here to establish and become a habitation, not just as a church, but you. Say me. Man, God is looking for a dwelling place, a habitation, and a habitation is different than a visitation. I go to Disney and I visit and I stay at a hotel, but it's not, where, it's not my habitation. My habitation's in Lithia. And there's a difference between a visitation and a habitation. And for some of us, we don't recognize the difference between God. God visits us. You get touched, but he's looking for something deeper. Are you with me? David said this, oh Lord, I love the place of your habitation and the place, Psalms 26, 8, and the place where your glory dwells. Meaning the place that God does not just visit, but he abides, there is glory. Do you hear me? Do you hear what I'm saying to you? When we create a resting place for God, where he is welcomed, where he is honored, where he is revered, where there is the fear of the Lord, where he is worshiped, where there is awe and there is wonder, he comes, but when he comes, there is glory. 
And everything has to bow when there's glory. I'm telling you, we've been in rooms. We've been in rooms. I don't even remember when it was. We would do conferences, these women's conferences. I don't even know how I ended up in there, but I was in there. I didn't even have long hair then. <laughs> but we would be worshiping. And as we were worshiping, all of a sudden, the glory of God would come into the room. And people would just start getting delivered. Which was crazy because then people got issues with people being delivered because I guess most of the church rather people be oppressed and possessed. But, but there was no ministry. There was no like demon team. <laughs> it was just worship. And there would, then would, there would be a moment where everybody would just go low. Everybody in the room would just go low because you didn't know what else to do. You're like, I just don't want to mess it up. You know? I'll never forget, we were, we were somewhere and there was worship and all of a sudden I hear this sound. And I'm thinking, I'm like, there's no way these 200 women sound that good. <laughs> like they could sound good, but they ain't harmonizing like that. And I look up and there's instruments and it was the craziest. My father-in-law was on the keyboard and there's music playing, but there's nobody playing music. It was the craziest. I mean, he had his arms stretched. And everybody was just weeping because the glory of God had come into the room. This is not a one-time thing. In Mexico, we were preaching one time open air. There was no walls, just a roof, dirt floor. And we're, I'm, preaching, I'm preaching about revival. And all of a sudden, from the back of the room, there's like this cloud that's coming in. And I'm like, I don't want to talk about it because if I'm the only one that sees it, I'm the crazy guy that's talking about the cloud now. It's just real. Because I'm like, test it. I'm not, I'm not that guy. I'm like, what's going on there? And so it's coming and there's hundreds of people under, the, it's hot, it's Mexico, there's bugs. It's like, not like this. It's a little hot in here, but it's not that hot. And as it comes in, people start looking around and I'm like, man, I feel like the wind of God's about to blow on this place. And the wind blew and knocked over the plastic chairs. And we were there for like three hours. This is what God desires. I believe it's what he desires. You may not believe it, but I'm telling you, read your Bible. <laughs> read about when Solomon dedicated the temple, what happened? When the glory came in, there's biblical precedents, but because we don't read our Bibles, we don't know it. And because we love to be offended, we resist it. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you where God is taking us is so far beyond anything you've ever experienced. It's bodies being healed. It's marriages being restored. It's children being raised up in the ways of God. I'm telling you. But it starts with a resounding yes. If you do it for the sake of doing it, it's never going to happen. Because it has to all be unto a person. When it all becomes about a person, then everything's in alignment and God's like, I can trust you with that. Because when it becomes about miracles, then we've lost the focus of why it's happening. So where there's habitation, there is glory. And one of these things that God has spoken to us is, is that we would become a Bethany. In Mark 14, there's a woman, her name is Mary and she's at Bethany. And I wanna read the scripture. I'm just giving you some, some like pillar scriptures for us here to be able to land in your heart. So you, and I wanna say, for many of us, it took years. How many of you have been with me for years now? Oh, four of you guys, good. There was more of you than that. I remember the first days of sharing this. It was like, what are we talking about? What are we doing? But I just wanna say, as we allow these scriptures to strike our hearts and to, and to be, it's like seed and soil, it begins to grow. And God begins to give you language and ways to interact with him. Are you hearing me? Yes. So in, in Mark 14, it says, While he was at Bethany, he being Jesus as a guest at the home of Simon the leper, he was reclining at the table 
which I think is important because Jesus was comfortable. It was a place of, he was comfortable there. And a woman came with an alabaster vial of very costly and precious perfume of pure nard. And she broke the vial and poured the perfume over his head. But there were some, verse 4, there were some who were indignant, remarking, indignantly remarking to one another, why has the perfume been, been wasted? For this perfume could have been sold for more than 300 denarii, a laborer's wages for almost a year, and given to the poor. And they scolded her, but Jesus said this, let her alone. Why are you bothering her and causing her trouble? For she, I want you to see how Jesus categorizes what was done to him. He says, she has done a good and a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you whenever you wish. You can do something good to them, but you will not always have me. But what she has done, she could, sorry, she has done what she could. And she has anointed my body beforehand of burial. I assure you, most solemnly say to you, wherever the good news regarding salvation is proclaimed throughout the world, what she has been done will be told. He, he attaches this act to the preaching of the gospel. But, but there's a few things that I think are important. One, Jesus was comfortable. He was at a place that he found home where he can recline. And in the midst of that, there was a woman who decided, I'm going to bring him something costly. It's what Steve was talking about. We're not just going to offer Jesus something that didn't cost. Listen, when you're going through a difficult time in life and things aren't going the way you think and you can still come and worship, it's costly. It's easy when everything is going Disney World, you know, like marshmallow happy. But when things are like an utter mess and you can still come in and say, God, you're good. Oh God, I trust you. Oh God, you're, there's something about that that is so countercultural. yet what it does is it brings breakthrough. I'm telling you. If you begin to every time opposition came, worship God, I guarantee you the opposition would soon stop. So she's in the room and she's offering this, this year wage of perfume and everybody in the room, their attitude of heart is what a waste. It's one of the main accusations we get out of vibe. Is, is it just hype? Like, is it really real? And what's happened is you've walked into a room, let's put me for a case, from a kid who God delivered from drug addiction and anger and perversion and all of these things. So when I come into a room, it's really irrelevant what you think because you didn't save me. I'm not dancing for you. It's not a jump for you. It's not even to get you to jump. It's me expressing his worship. God, you're, God in this moment, you saved me at 18. Years and years and years later, I'm still in love. It's only grown. I'm thankful. What that does is it allows him to entrust you with more. There's nothing worse. You've been there. If you've had kids, when you give your kids something, like I give my kid money and he wants to spend it like all $20 on ice cream at Disney. You're like, there's a better way, bro. <laughs> there's nothing worse than giving something and then them squander. You're like, there's a better way. But I feel like for us, man, he's teaching us his ways. I was talking to my wife and I was saying yesterday, I said, Desi, if, if you could share anything about being a presence people, what would you share? She goes, tell them about the time when we were in Spring Hill. In 2013, we had left a big ministry. We had just come on the back end of our marriage, almost falling apart. It was just terrible. Everything about it was terrible. Yeah, we landed at a ministry with our parents and, and, and I went from working at a church, which was a dream job to weighing turkeys at Winn-Dixie. I'm like, what is life? 
Like, how did I get here? I ate Taco Bell before work and after work, and it was a four-hour shift. <laughs> That's where I was at. It was rough. Yet in the midst of that, we felt like God was like, Gio, uh, he would show himself. So we would get in a room and we would do these things called HGPs, Holy Ghost Parties. And we would just turn on house fires in the living room and God would come. And we would cry and we would journal and he would share himself with us. And it's like, next Friday, let's do it again. And all of the church was falling apart. Yet in the midst of that, there was like a small group of young people that God was wrecking. And they were there like, they're like, why are people falling? And what's going on? And what are they speaking and it was like a season of God healing our hearts and showing himself to us and saying like, Gio, will you give your life to this? I want to say to you, there's a tremendous pressure when a ministry grows this big to change the narrative to try to appease people. We've seen it happen again and again where something starts very pure, but as it grows, there's an intentionality around protecting what God said. No, we're not doing worship for them. We're doing it for him. No, we're not going to ask, how did people feel? Like, how did God feel? Was God honored? Was, was, did God leave feeling like, oh man, I love that place? Because people come and go. Let me stop. So there's a sobering warning for us. Man, it's only 1133. Praise God. I want us to go to Haggai chapter one. And I'm, I'm going to kind of land here. I feel like this is a prophetic warning for us at this time. I say this humbly, like submit it, test it. But there's a people that you find, God's people, in the beginning of this book, they had been in captivity for 70 years. And they're, they're, they've been delivered from captivity. And what they were told to do as they left captivity was go rebuild the temple. The temple had been destroyed. That was a place where God's glory. And they went back with this mandate. We're going to build God's temple. But somewhere along the line, over 16 years, they had laid a foundation, but they stopped. They grew weary in building. They grew tired. They grew weary. It was like, it's too much. So instead of giving themselves to the call and the mandate to build God a house, they shifted the focus and they started to build their own houses. And in the midst of this, God comes and he confronts them. This is Haggai 1 verse 2. Thus saith the Lord, these people... The time has not come that the Lord's house should be rebuilt. Then the word of the Lord came saying, is it time for you, this is verse four, is it time for you yourselves to live in your expensive paneled houses while the house of the Lord lies in ruins? Therefore, verse five, says the Lord, consider your ways, thoughtfully reflect on your conduct. Like look at the way you're living your life. Consider your ways. You have planted much, but you harvest little. You eat, but you do not have enough. You drink, but you do not have enough to be intoxicated. You clothe yourself, but no one is warm enough. And he who earns wages earns them just to put them in a bag with holes because God, I want, the Amplify says this, because God has withheld his blessing. Then he says it again. Thus says the Lord, consider your ways and reflect on your conduct. Go up to the hill, bring lumber, and rebuild my house, the temple, that I may be pleased with it and be glorified, says the Lord. Verse 9, you look for much harvest, but it comes to little. Even what you bring, that home, I blow it away. Why, says the Lord? Because of my house, which lies in ruins, while each of you runs to his house eager to enjoy it. Verse 10 is striking to me. Verse 10, 
Verse 10 says this, therefore, because of you, that is your sin and disobedience, the heavens withhold the dew and the earth withhold its produce. So what's the picture? God calls the people to build his house. They grow weary over 16 years and now God is confronting them. He's saying this, you have built a lot for yourself, but what about my house? You've done a lot of things your way, but the fruit of your ways is this. There's never enough. And I feel like for us, man, like if I'm being honest, we've done a lot of things, a lot of building, a lot of structuring in and outside of the church. We thought if we could build the fanciest buildings with the best lights and put the best singers on stage, then they will come. If we could do X, Y, or Z, or let's just take ministry out of it. For some of us, we have gotten so wrapped up in building our own lives and going our own ways and being disappointed because our plans and purposes did not line up with God's that we disengage from him. And I feel like God is saying to us this morning, consider your ways. Some of you see it like this. I feel like it's mercy. Man, take inventory of your life. Time is short. And the Bible is clear that when Jesus returns, people are just going to be going about their business. Like they're just going to be going about their lives, doing their things, building their own, and all of a sudden, boom, he comes back. And the sobering thing for me in the midst of even being a presence people is that it becomes all about the activity, but we forget the person the activity is unto. It's, in, it's, it's possible. I've been in rooms. I mean, we, we were up at a tent and we were shouting and screaming. It was so crazy. I'm like, I've never been in a tent like this. And then when we got done, we got back in the car. We're like, I'm just not sure that like Jesus was, was there. I, we genuinely felt that way. So what I'm saying is you can't even gauge that by, by the atmosphere of the room. Because <laughs> the atmosphere of the room will lie to you. There are people who were outwardly shouting, but they're inwardly seated. There's an inward resistance. They know the right language. They know when to shout. They know when to scream. They know when to fall. Yet their life has no fruit. And what God is saying to us in the midst of this, I feel like is consider your ways. Let me come into your life and rearrange and reorganize. And for some of us, man, we've been in a season. The last thing I wanted to talk about was I felt like in John 21, there's this moment where Jesus says to Peter, Peter, you're going to deny me. And Peter was this boisterous. I mean, Peter was loud. He was loud. If there was anybody, it's like, he's like, I'll die for you. He's like, bro, you're going to deny me three times before this is all said. I'll never. He makes this declaration. I just imagine this declaration. I would never do that. Then you know the story. There's pressure. And all of a sudden, Peter finds himself doing what he said he would never do. And now he's in this moment of extreme shame. I don't know. I don't know. I would ask him when I get to heaven, but I would imagine there's extreme shame and disappointment and all of these emotions. Yet in the midst of that, in John 21, Jesus is waiting for him on a beach and he's cooking breakfast. And I love this about Jesus. And, and you need to hear this today because for some of you, you hear a message like this and you've made the declarations. You've come to the altar. You've said all the right words, yet things have happened that have caused you to go your own way. And I feel like Jesus is saying today, man, do you love me? What Jesus met Peter with on the beach was this, this, these questions of, Peter, do you love me? Peter's like, Lord, you know I love you. He's like, no, 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 but do you love me? And you see how quiet it gets in the room. 
Because to say you love Jesus means that your life would declare that. It wouldn't just be in a room like this, like, I love you. We love that. That's a good moment. Yeah, we all love him. But then like when, when all the dust settles and you don't have Covington sweating and dancing and dust, you know, when all of that's done on Monday, when, when it's just you and you, do you still love him? When it's early in the morning or late at night and you have to make the decisions between this or spending time with Jesus, which way are you going? I would lie to you if I would say they're not seasoned. Like every time I open up this Bible, my heart's not like, yes, the Bible. <laughs> it's not like that every time. I, I don't know when we got, I've made a decision that, that the Bible says his word is living and powerful. And that even when I don't feel it in a room, the room's not rumbling and shaking. It's doing something to my heart. It's changing me. And I'm not just reading the Bible. The Bible's reading me. And it's telling me things about myself and it's leading me to really be a presence person, a one thing people, amen? amen? Let me make sure there's nothing else I wanted to say. Yeah, so the last thing I wrote here is I feel like we have a, a beautiful opportunity today as we're talking about being a presence people, a one thing people, a Mary of Bethany, all of these different themes, a, a God, I wanna create a dwelling place for you. There you go, that's how I feel, praise God. I love it. There's an opportunity for us to invite God into that pain. I want you to hear me. If you're waiting for the moment where you feel like you're good enough to approach God, it's never going to happen. If you're waiting for the right moment or season, like now is the time. I remember having this thought for myself when I was a teenager. I always knew about God. I'm like, no, 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 I'm going to do me for a couple of years. I'm going to do my drug thing, party scene, and then I'm going to get saved. God's plans just disrupted all that. But we have all these plans and these things that we think are going to play out. And God, his, his leadership is disruptive. How many of you know this? His leadership is disruptive. It's like, it doesn't always go. But in the midst of that pain and that disappointment and all of that, God is saying, will you invite me into that? Will you let me into that space? And will you allow me to be Lord of your life? Amen. Let's stand. I want us to pray. Here's the question I just want us to consider as, as we pray here is what is keeping you from giving yourself to him? Like all of yourself, not like I've given you my hand and I, I said a few words, but like all of yourself. Like what, what is stopping you from giving all of yourself to him? And what I wanna pray today is we've had some tremendous altar times here. I feel like where God has come, but, but we are people, if we're people of the presence, then we're people of the altar. We don't stop coming. We don't stop responding. We keep engaging with him and we allow him again and again. I just feel this. I keep saying it, but like he strikes our hearts. <laughs> it's like he strikes it. It's like coming back alive again. And I feel like for us, if there are people in the room that you were saying, man, I find myself in a season, it's just dry. It's just, it's just difficult. Even before we go over and we have fun, we're gonna eat hamburgers, hot dogs. It's gonna be awesome. My wife's gonna jump on the slip and slide. That's enough. But, but in the midst of all that, we have an opportunity right now to respond to God, to say, Jesus, I, I, just, I, need, to, I need to realign.
I want to be a presence person. And I'm going to make mistakes and I'm going to fall short, but there's grace. I just feel like for those in the room, his grace is sufficient. This isn't a condemning, how dare you look at, this is like, man, God loves you and he's calling you home. His presence is home. So I want to pray for us and then give a chance to just respond. So Jesus, I just pray. I pray that you would help this to become a reality for us, Lord. We want to consider our ways. We want to engage with you at a heart level. And we're, we don't want to remain the same. Oh, I don't know about you. I don't want to stay the same. We ask that your grace would be active in our lives. God, that you would draw those this morning. That we would not stop responding to your call to be a one thing presence people. We tell all shame and condemnation, anything that would separate you. We just say go in Jesus' name. We declare the mind of Christ over you. Oh. Jesus, we need you. I felt this scripture pop up as I was praying. I'm just going to read it over you. This is in Psalms 27. David says, Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious and compassionate to me and answer me. Verse 8 says, When you said, Seek my face in prayer and require my presence as your greatest need, my heart said to you, Your face, O Lord, will I seek. So, Father, we pray that over every person, that there would be a response in heart. Your face, O Lord, will I seek. I will regard as the greatest priority. So if you're in the room today and you're struggling, just a difficult time, you're like, I just need a fresh touch from God. I hear the message, but it's just not the way my life is aligned right now. I want to invite you to come down to the altars so we can pray. And just allow God to touch you. Just make your way. We're going to pray. I just, I never want to leave with, without an invitation, just for realignment. We thank you, Father, there is grace. You're like, can God do it in my seat? Yeah, He can, but there's something about stepping out. a great time too man if there's anybody in the room dealing with sin that secret stuff this is a great time to just lay it down don't leave today with that stuff on you receive grace receive mercy Jesus we repent we repent For those of you that don't, let's just pray as, as these are coming. 
We thank you, Father, for newness of life. Man, I just feel like there's more people. I'm gonna ask one more time. I don't typically push, but I... This is a beautiful moment to respond to God. If there's anyone else, thank you, Father, that today is the day of salvation. You're going to find nothing but mercy and love. Holy Spirit, you are here. We thank you for mercy. We thank you for mercy. We thank you for mercy. Thank you for your love. Thank you for grace. Thank you for the ability to turn. I even feel in my spirit there are those that are like, man, I've already been down there, I've done that thing. I'm gonna beg you, don't stop coming. Don't stop coming to the Lord. Don't stop coming. Don't stop responding. The more we resist, the, the, the quieter the voice gets. Father, I ask right now in Jesus' name that there would be a resounding voice in every heart that would say, come, come, come. You are merciful. Would you pray if you're out there that God would touch them in mercy? Mercy triumphs over judgment. We declare the blood of Jesus over every person at this altar. And we declare over you that those things that you were struggling with be lifted off of you in Jesus' name. Can I get some people to just come around these that have come? We just want to pray over them. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. We declare mercy triumphs over judgment. Father, would you lift off every bit of shame and condemnation in Jesus' name. We trust you. Would you remove unbelief and doubt and discouragement in Jesus' name. Your words are true. Your words are true. Father, would you release identity. We silence the voice of the accuser that would come against you and speak things that are untrue. In Jesus' name. We thank you, Father, for grace. Every plan and purpose that you've spoken is alive. Would you partner with me? We declare every plan and purpose of God alive over every individual in this room. Wind of God, would you blow on every dream, every plan, every purpose. We pray for true life change, God for true life change. We thank you for your pursuit. You are the father on the hill waiting for the prodigal. You restore, you renew, you give a ring and a robe. You put sandals on our feet. You restore. We speak life over you in Jesus' name. Life. Come on church, just a few more minutes. We declare over you, you're never going back.
You're never going back to the lust. You're never going back to the comparison. You're never going back to the insecurity, to the complacency, to the apathy. You're never going back. We declare you burn the plow and you go forward into God's plans and purposes. We ask for a divine apprehension of every heart. In Jesus' name, that you would capture the heart. I just hear the Holy Spirit, those that are like, man, I'm tired. And I even heard this, like, I just feel broken. If that's you, would you just lift up a hand across the room? We want to pray. I'm tired. I feel broken. Just hi. There's someone right here. Can somebody just go right there? I just, uh, we want to pray through this right now. Right here, yeah. Father, in Jesus' name, your word says that you are near to the brokenhearted. You are near. You've never been more near. Father, I pray grace. And we speak to the situation and we say, turn in Jesus' name. We say, you are not broken. We speak the mind of Christ. Oh, we have mercy, Lord. Father, as a congregation, we just say, have mercy. Son of David, as we're going on our way, we scream like that blind beggar. Son of David, have mercy. Have mercy on their families, on their finances, on their health. In Jesus' name, would you turn aside and would you restore and renew? In Jesus' name. He hears you. He sees you. You are heard and you are seen. I just speak over you. God has never left you. You have not been abandoned. And God will have His way. God, God is a God of justice. You be still and watch Him work. He executes justice swiftly. His leadership is perfect. Father, for those in the room that just feel numb, like I just can't feel God. I try and I try, but I feel numb. We ask God, would you lift that in Jesus' name? If that's you, would you just lift your hands? Father, we ask for a lifting of that in Jesus' name. You said, taste and see that the Lord is good. To taste is to experience. We ask you, God, for a lifting of that numbness in Jesus name father we pray that you break addiction in Jesus name in Jesus name you're bigger than every addiction restore the broken places Father, forgive us. If, you're, if you've came and you came for sin, I just, Father, we ask for forgiveness. 
just you could softly say father forgive me wash me by your blood I give you my life give us grace to step into that God it's more than words it's a declaration God my life is yours Father we thank you like like you met Peter on that beach you meet us today in the midst of our mess and brokenness even turning back to the things we had before Peter was fishing he had gone back but Jesus you meet us love you. We love you. Help us to be a presence-centered community, a presence-centered people. Oh, I have to pray for dreams. Yeah. Yeah, I just really sense that the Lord is like, there's stuff that people are carrying. And um, my brother-in-law always says, it's almost like you're going to bed with it. You carry it all the time. And it's just time that you leave it here. Like I heard so clearly this morning, the Lord say, I reign from the mercy seat. He reigns from the mercy seat. It is where he is seated. He's seated there. And I just feel like right now there's a grace in the room for you to lay it down. You say, maybe I've done that 1200 times. I'm telling you right now, there is grace to supernaturally lay it down and let the all-consuming fire of God come and burn it. So Jesus, right now, we yield. We yield all self-hatred to you. We yield all shame right now at your feet, Lord. This feeling of unworthiness, I'm never gonna be good enough. I'll never measure up. I'm not like this person, I'm not like that. I will never make it. I'm never gonna amount to anything. Right now we yield that to you. Father, we have faith. Maybe you don't have the faith for it, but I'm telling you right now, you can use my faith. I have faith, Jesus, that right now you will meet your children. Son of David, have mercy. We ask you, Lord, we ask you, have a mercy on us. Have a mercy on us, Lord. Son of David, have a mercy this morning. Yeah, I just even sense like the Lord is wanting to meet you like he met Peter and you're expecting to be scalded. So you've been so hesitant, but he's not meeting you with a rebuke. He's meeting you with love. He's not there at the beach to rebuke you. He's there to say, oh, I love you. I love you. 
Lord, as your spirit goes, may it confront and may it comfort. May it confront and may it comfort. May it confront and may it comfort right now in the name of Jesus. Just one more thing and then we'll, we'll close. I wanna pray. I felt like the Holy Spirit that there's people who are carrying a word from God and there's direct opposition to that word. I wanna pray through that, whether it's a dream or something that God has spoken and you feel like, I just feel like everything is coming against that and I can't see how it would ever come to pass. Would you just lift a hand? We're gonna pray real quick through that. Anyone else? If my prayer team could just find some, a couple of those, please. I just feel like we need to pray through this in Jesus' name. Father, we thank you that your word is true your word is true and every word you've spoken is alive. So Holy Spirit, we ask you for grace in Jesus' name for a fruition of those words. We say over every situation that you make crooked paths straight, you make streams in the desert. God, you are the God of the impossible. So God, we ask that your wind would blow on those words in Jesus' name and we hold fast. When you don't know what else to do but stand and stand, we stand. We stand and we resist the enemy. You say resist the enemy and he will flee. So Father, we resist and we refuse to go back. We stand on your words because your word is true. So Father, we ask Holy Spirit, would you blow on those words? Would you give dreams? Would you visit them in the night? Would you bring encouragement and hope in Jesus' name over our dreams and our children? We speak life over our children and the next generation. And we declare they will be the Jesus people generation, that they would rise up and grow in the ways of the Lord, that they would see more than we have ever seen, that there would be a hunger and a desperation like never before. Give us grace to lead the way in this. We resist the enemy. We say, get your hands off of your people. Get your hand off of God's people. We cover them as spiritual family. We thank you for supernatural finances where they're needed. We thank you for courage and boldness. We thank you for eyes to see situations in a different way. I'm telling you, Father, would you release eye self? Would you give a divine perspective to every person in the room to see every situation according to your, the way you see it? Jesus, we love you. Would you just stretch out your hands to these people? We just wanna pray that God, Father, for every person that's come down and made a decision, Father, we cover them as family. Would you give them grace to walk this out? This doesn't mean you're never gonna make a mistake, but it does mean you don't have to. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for empowerment, for the ability to walk in newness of life, to never go back. You never have to go back. You never have to go back. There's grace to go forward. Would you cover them? Would you transform them by the power of your spirit? Give them a hunger and a zeal for your word. Put them in godly community. Help them flourish. Help them flourish. Never the same again. We declare that over you. Never the same again. We thank you for disrupting our lives. 
with your mercy and grace. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. Amen. Can we celebrate the Lord? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you guys for responding to the Lord. We love you guys. Well, guys, that was beautiful. Well, we, listen, we're going to have food next door. If, you, if God's touching you, just stay. Please just stay. But give us a few minutes. Give us about 15 minutes, and we're going to all transition next door. There's water slides, bounce houses. There's food. Please stay. We bought more than enough food, even if you just eat and go. Stay, hang out, get to meet a few people. Get, get the fellowship. We love you guys. We bless you. We'll see you this week in prayer room.